Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of MMA, the great Teddy Atlas, Boxing Hall of Famer. Teddy, how you doing? Good. I want to start by again congratulating our man Rob on a, from what I understand, uh, from all reports, it seems like it was a beautiful wedding. Uh, couldn't be happier for him and his new bride. It was in a small town in Mexico. You'll give the details, but um, you were there. And I understand that uh, I, I got privy to some aerial photos that the morning <laughs> of, you know, it's amazing. These <laughs> They got these, I don't know, they're kind of like spy planes. And, um, you know, we have a lot of fans of the show. We're very blessed. And somebody sent me these, these aerial photos Drone um, footage. Yeah, drone footage. It was you and Rob on a beautiful beach, a pristine beach, the morning of the wedding, running. And um, <laughs> and there was, it's starting to leak out a little bit. Rob was ahead. <laughs> and he was, he was in the lead a little bit. And, um, yep. you know, and maybe... I'm, I'm sure the Rob's a hell of a runner too. See, people forget that Rob himself, you know, you've been getting all the headlines, uh, but Rob himself is a hell of a marathon runner. And I have marathon runners, you guys switch in and out. But um, he was he was slightly ahead uh, in that. And um, as we speak, those photos somehow have disappeared. Um, <laughs> we'd like to know if you knew anything about that uh, cease, and cease and desist from counsel general uh, Ken Rideout in-house general counsel put a cease and desist tell us about the wedding because uh, yeah it must have been it must have been beautiful it was absolutely stunning we were in Tulum Mexico um, yeah listen you know when you have your own daily routine that Rob and I do almost the same thing every day, we I run a minimum of 10 miles every single day at minimum every day. And I, when I say every day, if I've missed two or three days this year, it might've been like, because I was traveling or so Rob's the same exact way. So naturally I send Rob a text first day I'm there in the morning. I said, Hey, they said we shouldn't leave the resort. Cause uh, you know, this, you can, you can have some problems outside of the resorts in Mexico apparently. So I said, I'm not going to run on the treadmill, but we have about a mile of loose sand beach in front of the resort. I'm just going to run in the sand back and forth to get my miles in. And he said, right as I sent it, he said, hey, you running? So I said, perfect. I'll meet you in 15 minutes. So we ran back and forth, total of 10 miles, probably took us like an hour and 25 minutes. But as we were running, it's funny. To me, this is normal behavior. You know, you, we do it every day. I do it. Rob does it. But to the people who were at the wedding, that maybe there was like 30, 40 people there, you know, it's ma mainly just his family. I more or less invited myself. And as we're running, the people who are just getting up and having breakfast are standing up on the resort. There are people that actually, there are people that actually <laughs> think you ran there. Is it possible to run to Mexico? I don't even know. I, I have to get Maybe. a map out. Go ahead. Well, they were sharing and, and, and carrying on. It was just like a real fun environment. But in the when I came back, my wife my wife happened to be sitting up there. We only knew a few of the people. There were a lot of Rob's friends. Rob's a lot younger than me. Um, but my wife said someone said first, 
is that Rob's trainer that he's running with? Which obviously felt like a huge compliment to me. And and as I was like, wow, do I look really that fit, Shelton? Do you think I look good to my wife? And then she said, well, someone else asked if that was Rob's dad. And I was like, if one more effing person says Thank that God I'm his dad. Thank God for Shelby. Thank God for Shelby. She's my favorite person in like the entire world. Thank oh. God she brought you down to earth a little bit. Thank God. That always does. Oh, Thank she always God does. For her. Good woman. But need, needless to say, we looked like aliens running out there because we did it every day. But I will say this: What about was the temperature Rob. there? I'm curious because I mean, you uh, was ten miles. Yeah, it was like probably 85, but it was it was warm, but nothing like what it was in Nashville in the summer. It was it was just nice and. Um, and, and like I said, I, I never, ever run or do any of that stuff for attention. So when people notice, it's always humbling to me where I'm like, it's like if you were painting pictures in your basement and you just did it because you liked it. And all of a sudden someone was like, these are beautiful. You could sell them. And you're like, really? You think anyone would care? That's how I feel about my running. Is it something that I do for myself mentally as much as physically? And as I started to progress and got better, I was, I, I'm so honored that people pet notice and care. I mean, obviously winning races is fun, but to the point about Rob, Rob's not only a good runner, Rob's already run faster than I've run it. He won the Malibu half marathon. He ran faster than I ever ran there. I got 15 years on him, but I'm sure that by this time next year, he's going to be running circles around me. He just gets better. He's progressing like exponentially faster. I've run faster every year for the last 15 years. But Rob's doing the same exact thing. He's got 15 years on me. So I'm just waiting for him to blow the doors off me and just say, like, I used to be able to beat that guy. But I love Rob. He's literally like a brother to me. He had an awesome wedding. It was stunningly beautiful. His wife, his wife now, I've been calling her, by the way, Rob, it's about time. It's been 10 years you've been dating her. So I had to give, I had to get a couple digs at him there. But yeah, it's, it's, it's strange to call her finally call her his wife but his wife is a stunning like might as well be a supermodel and a fashion icon and a stylist to the stars she's been styled everyone from tori birch to every other superstar on in the finance world but i'm sorry in the fashion world rob's got the finance world on lock but um yeah it was just this awesome weekend i was incredibly honored to be there <laughs> like i said i pretty much invited myself but um it was uh, it was nice. Congratulations to Rob Moore and his beautiful wife Marla Moore. Well, I will tell you what would have been added to even a because when when you have wedding pictures, you can be creative and you you know <laughs> in, in such a, a tropical setting, right? Such a beautiful yep. you know just gorgeous setting. You can you can do all kinds. I mean, sometimes you see, for example. A picture of Santa Claus on the beach, right? And, <laughs> yeah, you know, I know what just, you mean. <laughs> yeah, just to be different stuff. How about this one? How about the picture of that heavyweight that was on the uh, undercard of the Lomachenko fight? How about him coming out on that beach um, with his fur jacket, his hat, <laughs> and and his uh, cane? Um, <laughs> what do you have uh, on a pimp outfit? Yeah, <laughs> he was one of the preliminary, the heavyweight, the undefeated heavyweight. Who yeah. I, I like the kid, to be honest. We're going to talk yeah, about yeah. it specifically because I like his personality. I think he almost laughs at himself with the whole thing. And I think he's a very intelligent kid from the way I could hear him talk. And yeah. uh, very personable. And a kid that I, I don't know, some people you like right away, some people you don't like right yeah, away, if we're going to be exactly honest right. about it. And yeah. a, a kind of kid that you could like, but uh, I, that would have been perfect to have him, like, 
just walk in and maybe uh, give the bride away. <laughs> you know I will what I mean? say. I, I will say this: at the um, the first night we arrived, there was a little reception. I, I told my wife. Well, I'd wait a minute. Let me hold off on that. Okay. Yeah, that sorry, wouldn't be right to give the bride away. Not in a pimp outfit. That, yeah, that, no, no, absolutely that, not. That, that, <laughs> let, let me pull myself back. Uh, on yeah. that one. But just to have him waving to the audience and saying hello. <laughs> you know, that that would be beautiful. And I'll let you take it from here. I just want to mention that I tried to get you guys doing a cocktail cocktail gala and I couldn't get you. So um, Rob, thankfully, with the tweeting, and of course I'm kidding, but Rob set me up with <laughs> Ian Mackey, one of his friends, and he was tremendous. I mean... Uh, yeah, he, he really was. He's he he's obviously a fan of the show, and he's a, obviously a very intelligent guy that gets things done. And Rob said, "Don't worry, Teddy, you'll be in good hands." And I was tweeting during the Loma fight all night, and um, he was right on top of things. And then we had a a, a disaster. Well, it would have been a more of a disaster if I didn't have him with me. But during the UFC fight. Uh, right from the beginning, uh, it went down. The feed from ESPN Plus, you know, I don't know who's doing that stuff. I don't know if they got someone on a top of ESPN with rapid ears. I really don't know. <laughs> I, I really mean this. Like Joe there's Tessitore. Always, <laughs> uh, there's, uh, uh, there's always a problem with the ESPN, uh, the UFC fights, it seems, uh, whether it's, whether it's on the ESPN Plus app or whatever the heck it is, and I it, the whole damn thing went down, and I everybody in my house was sleeping. I wouldn't you know I wouldn't go and wake anybody. So me and Eon got on it. It's uh, Ian. Ian Mackey. Yeah, me and Ian, we got on it, and um, I tell you, it was like we couldn't do it. So then finally. We went to a computer pad. One of my grandchildren uh, has like an iPad. Oh, they an left iPad. Them on the table. Yeah. So we went on that, and it was he was trying to walk me through it. He was walking me by through the, it. By the way, Teddy, I can tell you right now, the comments in YouTube right now are going to say, did you hear Teddy call the iPad the computer pad? So yeah, just I don't FYI, know we know it's an iPad, you maniacs. Yeah, well, listen, <laughs> and, and we don't care. I don't care. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> because honesty is the best policy. I don't That's care. It. I got nothing to explain. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a complete caveman. Yes. You wanted to hear me say that? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm a complete uh, club-carrying caveman when it comes to this kind of uh, sophistication and technology and everything else when it comes to social media. There's no doubt about it. So we're on this, and he's walking me through it. Ken, he might as well have been walking me through how to run like a molecular catalytic <laughs> converter. Biology model. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was, but we finally, it took a while. But we finally got there. Unfortunately, the, the fights had ended by the time we got there. So what did I do? He stayed up with me to three in the morning, uh, Ian, <laughs> and, and Ian. I, Ian, and I watched all the fights. I watched every fight, and then I tweeted uh, after I watched them because, you know, 
and full transparency as we always do. Uh, I let them know right from the beginning I missed the fights. I was working on my molecular converter and um, I was... <laughs> catalytic and, converter. Yeah, catalytic converter. And I got catalytic it finally, converter. Yeah, I finally got it straight <laughs> and I got the tweets out there and they did well. Rob told me they still did real well and um, that's my story. That's my story. So... That's Ian previously Ian previously helped manage all the website and social for Stanford University, so he's the perfect person to be working for you. Not necessarily on your catalytic converter, but for your molecular biology model. He needed that background <laughs> to help this guy. Let me tell you, he was tested. He was we tested. We love you, dude. He Dad, was listen. tested. Listen, if you knew all this terminology and you didn't say things the way you said, you wouldn't be so lovable. It's uh, it's 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 people like that character that that quality in your character is that you are who you are and you're not trying to put, pretend and put on phony airs and pretend you know uh, about molecular biology and uh, you know you know what your own strengths and weaknesses are. The last thing I'll say about Rob's wedding is it was, everyone there was super high fashion because his wife is a, a stylist. Uh, <laughs> and the first night we went down there. I, I was, of course, packing at the last minute like a lunatic because I've been so busy with the kids and work. So I brought the first night I had on like a golf shirt and khaki pants. And I said to my wife, I go, I look crazy. All these people are going to be fashionable. I look like I'm selling John Deere tractors. But the next night at the rehearsal dinner, I said to my wife, and I very rarely feel like this. I said, Shelby, they might ask me to leave. I said, my outfit is so good. I'm going to upstage Rob. I, and I was, you know, de teasing with my wife, but I had, you ever put on an outfit? You were teasing, like, you were being serious. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no. Have you ever put on an outfit where you feel like, oh my God, this might be the best outfit I've ever worn? No, the, the, but continue. The night before, I felt terrible. This time I was like, oh man, they I said to Shelby, of course, I was joking with her, but I said to her, this is going to be a pain in the ass. Everyone's going to want to take a picture with me for this outfit. And of course, she was laughing hysterically. As soon as we walk out of the room, Teddy, the first person we see a woman walking in a fancy dress, she goes, oh my God, I love your outfit. And I said, it was like, it was like uh, she, she sent me a gift from the gods. I said, Shelby, I'm telling you, it's just the beginning. I had fun with that. I might have been the only one laughing, but I told everyone I saw, I said, yes, you could take a picture if you want. I know my outfit is awesome. And uh, anyway, we had, we, had a, we had some good laughs. My wife was just, without the kids and, and having a few drinks, I had her in stitches. She was either in stitches or wanted to like leave me for embarrassing her the whole time. You know how they go down the walkway with all those special people, you know? <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. You should have came in with like a lawnmower. <laughs> really. Just, uh, just, I, I thought about bringing a walking stick, like a cane, like the guy getting well, into well, like the, the heavyweight. Well, <laughs> well, the heavyweight stole your, <laughs> he stole your idea. <laughs> Maybe Ken. leather gloves with the knuckles cut out, like Chuck He's, Zito. <laughs> he, he stole your idea. I mean... My oh, man, that was okay. I, again, I like this kid. I don't know where he's going to go. Uh, heavyweight division is always wide open, but he, yep. he's a kid who had amateur fights. Go ahead. Well, perfect him. setup because that, that's where I want to start with uh, Jared, the pimp Anderson. Apologies <laughs> if that's not his name, but I'm assuming that was what he was looking for with that outfit. I, I like you. I like a little showmanship. I like someone who's... I don't like showboating when you're at that stage where you're being developed and brought along and you're clearly a really good prospect. And we'll get into Keyshawn Davis later where he he handled his business. But I don't like when the guy is in there against an opponent. It's very clear what they're doing. They're bringing him along. They're bringing him opponents he can look good against. But you don't have to show up the guy when you're like knocking down a guy who's 
parking cars during the week and he took this fight probably for five grand for you to beat the crap out of him. So, but Jared especially, Anderson... Especially if you parked a car at that place. You're never going to get your car. No. No, because the guy's yeah, not going to yeah. be able to like drive. <laughs> He's going to be in like pro, or, the concussion protocol. Or, or one of his friends is just going to tell him, hey, you know, we're, we're not... We're not giving him his car. We're, yeah. we're gonna, he he beat up our friend. But um <laughs> Well anyway, to that point, Jared Anderson looked apart. I love the way the kid talks and presents himself like you. He handled his business, got a second round knockout. The the opponent he was in there with, and I'm sorry, I don't have the name. One sec, let me see if Rob sent me the name. But he basically, he dispatched the kid real, real quick. Uh, Oh, here it is. Alexander Teslenko. Yeah, who he was a plus 1100 uh, favorite. But the kid... Uh, the Ukrainian kid, Ukrainian-Canadian, he had a pretty good record, but if you look closely at the record, the losses were like, I think he got blasted out of there. Like, his re- his record looked a lot better than he was as a boxer. And Jared it's Anderson did build exactly... It's Ken. Yep, Ken, it's easy exactly. to Yep, exactly. So Jared and Anderson did what was expected. How'd you Anderson like Anderson was, what was he? Minus, uh, he was the one he who was, was he, obviously... He was minus 2,200 plus 1,100 on the Ukrainian right. te- uh. Tesalenko. Uh, here's all I have to say about that. I said, and uh, we we don't want to spend too much time on this, and and you covered it well, and <laughs> where <clears throat> they they're getting these, you know, these soft to to put it mildly, um, soft soup like opponents um, right now. But this one, either either this kid, what's his name, Anderson. Jared Anderson. Either Anderson punches like Ernie Shavers or <laughs> the opponent has a glass glove because he blocked that punch with his glove. If you watch the re- <laughs> if you watch the replay of it, Ken, he blocked I know some of it slipped off a little bit, but not a lot. But um he blocked the punch with his glove and he was knocked out. So Again, Anderson is the new Ernie Shavers, or this guy's glove should be auctioned off uh, in some kind of museum somewhere because it's it's a glass glove. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the atomic. It's, it's Jared Anderson had on the atomic glove. It, it 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 sends its concussive blow right through your glove. So go to the, go to the next. Hey guys, happy to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're struggling with your mood or if there's something mentally that's keeping you from achieving your goals, be sure to check out BetterHelp to improve your mental game. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. To be clear, this is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's, a pro- it's professional therapy done securely online in the privacy of your own home. Once you're set up with BetterHelp, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your own therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room like you would with traditional therapy. BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, wants you to start living happier, a happier life today. Check them out at betterhelp.com atlas to get 10% off your first month. 
Joining over 2 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Atlas for 10% off your first month. The only thing I wanted to say is about the heavyweights to your point, though. When you can bring a heavyweight along and get him to a decent record, like Andy Ruiz is an example. Andy Ruiz is an incredibly good boxer, relatively speaking, to a heavyweight prospect. But using him as an example... Andy Ruiz had a great record, was coming along, had a loss. And and um, when Big Baby Miller decided to like take every single performance enhancer available to no, or known to man in his buildup for Anthony Joshua and got kicked out, they called up Ruiz, who had the right record. Obviously, he was too good, and they, they made a mistake. But the point I'm making is when you're a heavyweight and you have a decent record, Andy Ruiz got paid five million dollars on a two weeks notice to fight Anthony Joshua there is not another weight division or sport in the world where you can get that kind of scratch I mean look at they thought they were bringing him in as a sacrificial lamb but the point is five million dollars to take a fight on two weeks notice against the heavyweight champ heavyweight boxing is like a, a whole different sport from the rest of the sport from the rest of the weight classes heavyweights there is there it's the it's the cash cow division. I'm not telling anyone anything they don't know, but to, to the point is when they're bringing these guys along, there's a lot of there's a lot of potential cash on the line in time for some of these guys. So anyway, let's get into the next one. Keyshawn Davis, Olympic silver medalist. I love this kid as a boxer. He's slick. He's good. He's got a silver medal. He was like one, you know, points away from being an Olympic gold medalist, which is incredible takes incredible skill especially at those lower weight classes he was a minus 2000 favorite over jose zaragoza and again i i don't say the guys parking cars to try to disparage anyone i have massive respect for anyone that would get in the ring especially if you even have enough remotely enough skills to be considered to get put in the ring with this with this Keyshawn davis although they're going to get someone killed if they keep doing this. But um, Keyshawn Davis wins it in the second round with a body shot. And the only thing that I'll add is I think he dropped him once before that. And the body shot was incredible. It was awesome. It was on the spot. It, 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 it was one of those immediate, like not even a delayed reaction. Like you would have thought he got shot with a sniper rifle, but not an act. Like he clearly got hurt. But the one thing I want to add is Joe Tessitore, like have you ever watched a boxing match before? You have a 2,000 to 1 favorite lands a perfect body shot against a guy who arguably shouldn't even be in the ring with him. And Joe Tessitore's acting like the kid just threw a perfect game in the World Series. Like he, he, like he just cured cancer. I'm like, Joe, he did exactly what everyone expected him to do. I can, okay, a little enthusiasm. Ooh, great body shot. But Tessitore went on and on. I don't know if he's trying to like get his job back at um, on Monday Night Football all in one go with the hyperbole. But my God, he just provided uh, Bill Simmons and Cousin Sal with about a two-hour comedy routine with the reaction to that body punch. Jesus. And Keyshawn, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You don't have to dance around and showboat this kid. You're like smashing the opponent, which is what we want which is why we want to get behind you. But there's no reason to dance around when you're beating a kid. Vasily Lomachenko was fighting for a world title in his second fight. This is, this is, we, this is what we expect you to do. Like guy scoring a touchdown and handling the ball to the, to the referee in the end zone. Act like you've been there before. Next up, guys, who's next? Let's go. Anyway, I digress. How'd you like that fight? I love Keyshawn Davis. I think he has a ton of talent, ton of potential. I expect him to be a world champion, but... Hopefully they get him in there with a little bit more of a test the next time out. Yeah, I mean, listen, everything you said is on the mark. Uh, as far as 
Oh, listen, hopefully the fans, we respect the fans. It's, we don't go overboard or underboard. We respect, we tell them our opinion based on experience, and I tell them mine based on experience in this business and what is not based on anything else. Not keeping a job. Um, guess what? Nobody can fire me over here. I don't, <laughs> I don't have to worry about keeping a job. I don't have to do um, what maybe what you were kind of describing. I don't have to howl for my meals. And you know what? Even if I did, I wouldn't. And I never did. And that's why <laughs> for you bright guys out there that are probably going to point it out anyway that might be in that uh, basement, you know, I hope you're dressed warm enough. Um, you know, I hope you you covered up. Um, but I I don't have one of those jobs anymore. Maybe because I didn't have for my meals, uh, and that's okay. <laughs> that's that's fine. I I um I feel fine about that. Obviously, it was my choice not to do that. So yeah, I get it, and you know. It's it gets a little <laughs> even though you're howling for your meal or they're howling for their meals, it does get a little as you said too much. Like that great comedian, uh, what's his name? Sebastian. Sebastian Maniscalco. He's really good. He's really good. I like him. I like his yeah, style. He's, nice. And, he's a nice guy too. Yeah, I, I met him years ago when he was he wasn't even known yet. He was just coming out, and I was asked to speak at a thing for CEOs in Manhattan, and they had it set up really, really nice in a really nice hotel in Manhattan. And I and my daughter was with me, and uh, they did like a two, three-day thing. So the next day I was asked to speak. So that night they asked us to come to dinner and meet people. Yeah. And then they brought out this new comedian. It was Sebastian. And he was, you know, doing his thing uh, early in his career. And I remember one of the funniest things that I guess it's still now that he's very developed, very advanced, very known. It's one of his signature things, Ken. But I know my son's friends all get a kick out of it. When you're doing something kind of like that guy howling for his, you know, howling for his meals, where it just seems a little ridiculous, uh, even though we understand why he's doing it, where he says... With that voice, you know, Ken, he says, aren't you embarrassed? Aren't you embarrassed? I mean, that that's where you need, right there, ESPN likes the entertainment value, right there would be a perfect spot. And tell me, your fans out there, that some of you, come on, you can't, you, we're kidding around, but you, you can't, you can't really see when something's a little ridiculous. When you're going to that level when as you touched on you're knocking out you're knocking out guys that and the same thing with the with the Ali Walsh fight we'll talk about that in a minute where Ali you know I understand it's the grandson of the great one but he lands a right hand and he's like oh my god look at that power of that right hand <laughs> Do you understand that you just said that? Aren't you embarrassed? <laughs> Aren't you embarrassed? That's do you understand? Do you, uh, <laughs> do you understand 
that the guy that you're fighting, who you did knock out, who wound up going to decision anyway, that and and like to your point about the the, the build a record up, the guy was six and zero. Do you understand that there are six holes in a cemetery somewhere where the bodies of the six guys he beat used to be? Do you understand? <laughs> do, do you understand that 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 is that that is that is as close to factual as possible? That that is that if people could be resurrected, it's true. It, it, that and you're and you're going that bonkers over, it, and that's the real setting. And you know it is. You know it is. See, listen, I didn't know I was going to go there today, and then you opened up the, the door to go there, but it, it gets to a point, like, come on. You still have to have some credibility. I mean, it gets you too do? much. Well, you do? Apparently not. It's been going well, on for ages. Yeah, I mean. a good, all right, fair. But to that end, would, to that end, would I wish, would give more You would wish that they have to have some. But getting back, we'll get to Ali in a minute, but getting back... It gets almost insulting after a while because getting back to the other fights and to the kid Davis. Now, listen, to Cus's words, Cus the model, who I thought was the greatest boxer mind ever. The kid probably had 200 fights. He's a silver medalist. He might have had more than 200, whatever. Um, he's, a, he's a silver medalist, right? So he's had yep. all kinds of experience, silver medalist from the Olympics. You know what? You're supposed to know how to fight by now. Like Cuz would say, Teddy, if they didn't know how to fight after that, then they should go sell Italian ices on a corner. That's what they should be doing. So they should be able to fight. And then when you go that nuts, but look at the opponent. I mean, it's got to be part. Does he look good? Yes. Does he have physicality? Yes. Does he have a good body that could grow into? Yes. Does he have an athleticism? To, yes. Uh, does he? Does it look to be like he's got a certain boxing IQ? Yes. Uh, fine. But before you go, and you, and you go high octane on all these kind of things. Um, please let it be a little bit, uh, let's put some things in context a little bit properly and, and in a relative way of who he's fighting. I used to do that. I used to do that all those years on ESPN. You know? Yeah, but that's and, why you're and, not there anymore. And a lot of people didn't like it, a lot of the promoters, but the fans liked it. The fans liked it. But the promoters and the sometimes maybe the powers that be, they didn't because why should you uh, mention that? Why should you be a party pooper? Well, because it's the truth. I'm not saying a kid can't be a world champion, and a kid probably will be. They'll maneuver him the right way, but uh, and his talent will get him there. But you know, it's just it just gets to be. Sometimes it gets to be a little bit too much. Just just a bit too much. Uh, when when these goes, guys go bonkers uh, the way that they do. I'll give a little bit of credit here to um, the, the guys at the zone, and I have no preference towards any network. We don't. We as, you, as anyone who listens to this show will know, we don't. We destroy have them all. Friends. We go. We, do, <laughs> we 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 don't discriminate. 
If, if they deserve a pat on the back, we give them a pat on the back. Exactly. That's what and I want to say. Don't, they like, don't. And to that point, I'll give a pat on the back to the guys at the zone. And again, I have no, I don't care. Like any, I have no affiliation with them. Don't care if they like me or not. But I'll say Mannix and the crew over there, Sergio Moore. I actually like those guys. They always point out who the other champions are, even if they're not Eddie Hearn or Oscar De La Hoya guys. They talk to, they're, they're not, they're not ignoring the fact that PBC has champions, top rank has champions, uh, you know, other promoters have champions. If you listen at times to ESPN, you would think top rank has the only fighters in the world in a weight class. And the same thing on Fox with PBC. You'd think that they would, in Showtime, that only the PBC fighters matter. It's, it's just, it's short-sighted. Even Espinosa, we talked about it last week, g g attacking ESPN for, for sending out a tweet about the Rocky movie having like a 35th anniversary or whatever it was and not hyping up a Showtime fight. Like, are you insane? I mean, maybe he's so smart. He's like a mastermind that he's getting us to talk about about him and his fight by saying something so outlandish he was pissed. and so insane. He was pissed because he didn't make the rematch with Balboa and Clubber. <laughs> exactly. Now back to our back to our uh, Jake Paul undercard at Showtime. Anyway, I digress. Um, to your point about the about those fights though, just with the um, the one sided affairs. Like uh, we'll get into the UFC in a minute, but the girl uh, Juliana Pena who was fighting Amanda Nunez, she was an eleven to one underdog, and it was like. Like the biggest, uh, it, she obviously she won for those that don't know, but we, and we'll we'll cover it fully. But she was the biggest, I believe, the biggest underdog to ever win a world title in the UFC. Eleven hundred to one was like a one-sided, like just you don't see that in the UFC. Let me re let me read to you real quickly the four, including the main event, the four cards on the um, on the top rank show on ESPN. Nico Ali Walsh. Walsh Minus 1,500. Keyshawn Davis, minus 2,000. Jared Anderson, minus 2,200. Loma, minus 800. Those aren't good fights. I don't care what anyone says. Loma is a good fight because you like to see Lomachenko in there because... Or, or replace him. Tank Davis minus 800, whoever you want to put in there. Yeah, it's good because the guy's a big name and you want to see that he's going to keep moving forward. But no one cares about a 20 to 1 favorite. Like, they're not, you're not doing anyone any favors. These guys, some of these guys need to, like, to get better, have to have more competitive fights. If you're a 20 to 1 favorite, it, to me, that's you only have downside risk. You're supposed to knock that guy out if you don't get him out in one or two rounds. It's like a loss. I, I just don't. Anyway, I don't want to. I, I don't. We have a lot to cover. Well, um, let me see that, Ken. You're not wrong. Listen, let me let me finish up on with when it comes to Davis. One of the commentators made a comment, and listen, I'm not saying he heard it from me, but uh, it, it was very similar to something I said a few years ago, whatever. Um, where Lomachenko, uh, after one pro fight, I made a statement on ESPN. Obviously, I was doing my job at that time. Uh, being the guy that caught the fights. And I made a statement that I would put Lomachenko right now into the my pound-for-pound pound top 10. And, and, it, and a lot of people went crazy. I think I was proven right um, <laughs> pretty fast. Uh, now, because Lomachenko went on to win the world title within a year or even less than that, he lost uh, to Salinas, and I think it was Salinas, and whoever was his, uh, uh, when he fought in his third fight for the title, he lost a split decision. I think it was split. But 
what and then he went and he won the world title right after that. So I think he won the world title in like his fourth fight, and then he went on to be very shortly listed as a lot of people's pound for pound top ten in most lists. So I felt vindicated about that, or I felt validated uh, about making such an outrageous statement, and. One of the commentators made that about Davis. And again, I, I, I do feel that maybe it was because of, people actually told me. They said, uh, you, you know, it, it was first heard and maybe that's where it came from, uh, that you had said such a thing. and But it's one thing about saying something to get attention. It's another thing about saying something that truly has merit to it. Now, Davis is going to be a world champ, I think, in the future. But to say he's a top 10 guy now... Now? No. Now, Teddy, explain yourself. I will. Why Lomachenko could after one pro fight and this kid couldn't after three. Well, Lomachenko in his first pro fight fought uh, a, a solid 10-round fighter, and he went 10 rounds. He fought a solid, or he stopped him, whatever, but it was a 10-round fight. He, he fought a solid, experienced, solid guy, uh, and number one. So he already showed that he can fight those kind of guys. This kid is fighting guys that are really, truly hand-picked. Uh, he, he's 3-0. and He's fighting guys that are hand-picked guys. He's younger than Lomachenko. Lomachenko was a two-time gold medalist in the Olympics. And he was a little more mature, a little older. Uh, and like I said, he already in his first pro fight he was fighting solid guys going 10 rounds. This kid's going six rounds. Uh, this kid has talent. This kid has amateur experience. But he hasn't shown the ability to bring those talents to a mature, seasoned, veteran, professional fighter who will test him in certain areas. Lomachenko had done that. That's why I made that statement. That's why I felt that statement was responsible, even though it was outrageous to a lot of people. I don't think you can responsibly make the same statement yet with Davis, but I do think he can be a future world champ. Uh, but he's got to mature. He's got to. He's got to move up the ladder. He's got to. He has to show that he can do what Lomachenko did. Not only go six rounds, but go 10 rounds with not the kind of guy he was in there with the other night. So that's the difference. But with with solid guys. And he's he hasn't done that yet. So the other thing I want to say since we're on this track, and it's to help the fans to understand where this is going. I think in some ways ESPN has gone back to the 80s and uh, 70s, 80s, early 90s, whatever, before they decided to just kind of wreck what they had or just get rid of what they had and start with Friday Night Fights. And I'll tell you what I mean. They were with ESPN. This is ESPN. They were with uh, Top Rank. This is Top Rank's second go at it. Uh, where they they had a ESPN franchise, you know they were the sole promoters back in the seventies, eighties, early nineties, uh, that time frame, where they would they had a run of about twenty years, and what it became, it became a series that didn't they just had A's versus B's. They they mm -hmm. weren't competitive fights anymore, Ken, and and the reason. Very, very similar. I heard something announced very proudly by their commentator, and I don't blame them. 
put it out there because it's something to be proud of it's something to you know to to shake the to shake the branches on the trees and get people's attention and come hear this espn one of the commentators said espn just signed the whole entire olympic uh the last olympic boxing team of of the united states okay uh, I, I didn't check to see if it's accurate but let's say it is okay what does that mean well, I'm going to tell you what it means, and I'll tell you why I I went back to the first go around at at the that top rank had with ESPN. What it means is that they will sign all these talented kids like Davis, all these talented kids. That's great, that's great, and it means that what they will use as leverage to sign them is what they did back in the 70s and 80s. They will say, we have an exclusive contract with ESPN. If you sign with us, you will get on television, unlike a lot of other fighters. You will get on national television immediately, right away, and within two years, you will be fighting for a world title. Wow. Yeah, that's great. And what that means, and it's true, they will get on TV. Like you see these kids, 3-0, they're on TV. But what it means is the part they leave out, you will get on TV against guys that barely have a pulse. If they have a pulse, then they wait until the pulse gets slower, and then, then they get the call. But they barely have to, a pulse. They might have a temperature too. And, um, but you'll be put in with guys that do not make competitive fights. All right, now I'm just not being a wise guy right now. You'll be in there with guys like you saw that Ken just described on Saturday night on the undercard. You'll be in with these guys that guarantee you will win for the first year, definitely for the first year, where you'll build up a 10-0 and record. And, and you'll do that. But in the meantime, and it'll go on for two years. You'll improve a little bit, and then you'll fight for a title within two years. And, and a lot of years will win world titles because there's a lot of titles out there. A lot of time, And because Top Rank has a lot of pull, and they can go there to the organizations that they have the most pull with, they can get them in position, and they can get the world titles. And these talented kids will win world titles. All of that is true. But what is also true is the same reason ESPN junked the whole thing uh, all those years ago when it got to the point where you're going to have one-sided fights. You're going to have a farm system. And that's what, that, that's what happened with Top Rank and ESPN again years ago. It became a farm system to develop their fighters, to put their fighters on TV, to sign their fighters, put them on TV, the best fighters in the world in some cases, put them on TV, you know, feed them this very, very soft diet of opponents, if you will, and then build them up to world champions. But what it means in the meantime to you, the people listening to us right now, is that you're going to be watching one-sided fights for the next couple of years. So in one in one in one moment, you get great news. Wow, ESPN, they just signed up. Uh, Top Rank just signed up with ESPN, the whole Olympic team. Yes, you will see those brilliant, greatly talented kids, but you will see them with people that are not brilliantly talented uh, for the next year and, and, and more because that's how it's done. That's how it's done, baby. That is the recipe. I'm sorry. That That is the recipe to make champions the way that these promoters make champions. And that's it. 
uh, you know, that's that's it. You like it all. If your fan that says, Teddy, I'm glad you guys tell it like it is, you know, then good. Or if you're someone who says, oh, gee, you're, you're, uh, you're raining on a parade. No, I'm not. You, you want to take it that way? Fine. You're going to see brilliant talent. There's no doubt about that. But you're not going to see them in with guys that can really tell you if they're going to be the next great one. And, and more importantly, they're not going to be competitive fights that you're going to want to sit there, I don't think anyway, that you're going to want to sit there and watch when, when, as I've said before, where why are you watching a movie if you know the ending already? I don't know anybody who's sitting and watching a freaking movie if they know the freaking ending before the freaking movie starts. You, you don't. And it's the same thing here. You're going to sit and watch a fight where you know how it's going to end before the damn thing. But that's what's that. That's how it's done. And again, this kid Davis, he might be the next great thing. Um, but you're not gonna you're not gonna know that by the guys he's fighting right now. And listen, this I I could easily make a parallel with other sports. I I'll take one right now, right off my head. Uh, uh, Lou Saban with Alabama. He goes out and he recruits. He says, you want to come to Alabama? This is what's going to happen. You're going to come to Alabama. Your games are going to be on television every freaking week. The, everyone's going to see you. And in two years, you're going to leave and you're going to go in the NFL and make millions of dollars. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And there will be games, by the way, uh, <laughs> there will be games on, on ABC and stuff that will be, the score will be 72 to 8. Yes, there will be some. There'll be good games too. See, that's the difference, though. You'll get to fight in a title. You'll get to fight in a title uh, game every once in a while early on uh, your first year, uh, uh, where there will be some good games. But there'll be a lot of seventy-two to eight games. But the difference when you're talking about boxing is that the fans they're not going to see those title games. They're only going to see the 72 to 8 games. That's all they're going to see for the first year and a half or whatever it becomes. That's all they're going to see. So anyway, uh, take me there, Ken. Take me somewhere. I think I did enough over here to get people uh, to to get some of the networks to uh, <laughs> cut me out from the Christmas list if I was still on it. Uh we we touched very quickly on Nico Ali Walsh. Well, she gets a majority decision over the great Reyes Sanchez. Good to see Reyes still. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, listen, listen. We want to root. I, I, you okay? You all right? Um, we want to root. You good? You good? Listen, I love Ali. I was twelve years old. I lost one hundred twenty dollars when I bet two hundred twenty dollars. I didn't have when I bet on Ali over Frazier. He, I couldn't believe he lost. I thought somebody was just giving me $120. I was like, oh my God, I could make $120. And I made bets, $10 bets, $5 all over school, all over the freaking place. And and I lost. And I, you know what? I didn't have $120. Um, but I, I, I had to find a way to come up with it. And um, I eventually did because you got to pay your debts. So there was a, lo there was a lesson. And also... Uh, that you got to be able to fight too if you're going to go and bet $120 that you don't have. So there was a couple, the, there was a few lessons in there for me as a young kid. Um, but 
I loved Ali. That's why I bet it. I believed in Ali. I could not believe. I could not believe that he that he could get beat. So I I I went I went and so when it comes to this now, Ali Walsh, I I'm in. I, I it's it's the it's his grandson. Okay. I'm in. I'm watching. But like we've been talking about here fairly, I believe very honestly and fair that please when when he hits a guy that is a hand-picked guy and you can easily build a guy's record 6 and 0. Can, I mean 8 and 0, 10 and 0, 20 and 0. Do you remember a guy a white heavyweight named Dwayne Bobbick, he was he was once built up to a record where he was like forty and all when until Ken Norton knocked him out in like twenty seconds. I mean, I, I forget what it was, but if you again, if you saw some of the opponents that they that they put him in with. You 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 would have said, oh, I know him. He was my milkman. Uh, he was my milkman last week, or he was my mailman, or like you said, my doorman. Or, you know, or, or nowadays they have Uber Eats. He was my Uber Eats guy. I mean, so don't tell me about records, please. Don't even try to go there. So, and the thing is, the people calling the fights, they know this. They understand this. So, again, when, when you're going to, you got Ali Walsh, we understand that everyone's trying to make money off the name. We understand that. But don't make a fool out of me. That's, that, really, now we're getting a little, don't make a fool out of me. Don't, don't insult my intelligence. Like Michael Corleone said to uh, that piece of crap, what was his name? Carlo Ken? That that freaking, I still hate that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love when, how you get so passionate about oh, movie characters. That freaking piece of garbage. Well, That's when, beautiful when, writing when they can get you to feel that kind of passion about a fictional when, character. When, when he said, he said, now just tell me, who was it? Well, who was it? Bazzini or Tataya? <laughs> but don't tell me you didn't know don't tell me you didn't do it because it insults my intelligence. And when you insult my intelligence, it makes me angry. So just tell me. Oh, it was Bazzini. So don't, please, don't insult our intelligence going, oh, what a, what a right hand. Oh, what? <laughs> Fighting, and we know he's going to win. We understand that. And we know that the name is propelling this whole thing. And that everyone's attached to it, ESPN and and top rank, and they're hoping that it can lead to some money, and and the kid can make money. Beautiful, go go ahead, go ahead. But that's that's tempered a little bit. That's tempered a little bit. That that's that's keep our a little bit of our integrity. Maybe that's asking too much. But come on, keep a little of dignity here when you when you do this just call the fighting and freaking and then you know burp and then go home you know what i mean or go on to the next uh, you know go go on to the next fight but when i'll break it down because that's what i do because that's our obligation to the audience 
I don't care. I don't care whose grandson he is, okay? I, I mean, if I don't care if he was the godson, uh, you know, to Joe Lewis and the grandson to Ali and a late, uh, a, a long-distance cousin of the great, great uh, Jack Johnson. I don't care, all right? This kid is not anything to get excited about right now. There's not one area that you can say, oh my God, he's so fast, he's so powerful, he, he, he's so slick. Oh my, there's not one area you can say, he's green, but I can build around that. There's not one area. He's just a kid who walks in and throws punches right now. And, and if he wasn't Ali's grandson, and I know this, I know people understand this, Ken, but we wouldn't be talking about him, and he wouldn't be on TV, obviously. But at what point do you, do you stop insulting the audience's intelligence just a little bit, just a little bit? And he's a kid that, he's not a big puncher. He shows gameness. He shows heart, um, and he's going to have to, sh he might have to show his grandfather's chin because he gets hit, because uh, he just walks in. Uh, he gets hit with right hands, and the reason for it is because he throws his jab from too close. He just walks in, throwing his jab. Guess what? The jab is a great weapon. For, for the people out there that, that want to be um, amateurs, that are amateurs, that, that are aspiring young fighters, the, the jab's a great weapon, guys. You always hear that. But it's a dangerous weapon if you don't know how to use it and when to use it. If you throw the jab from too close, you open a window <laughs> to be counted with right hands with orthodox fighters. That's what happens. You got a jab from the right distance, from the right place. This kid hasn't learned that yet. So that's one of the many things, many things that he's going to have to learn if he's going to go anywhere. But don't stuff it down our throats and, and you know, tell us that, hey, we're, we're looking at a Mona Lisa when we're, we're not looking at a Mona Lisa. You know what I mean? Let us, I think we could figure that out, you know? Uh, we're, we're looking, you know, we're looking at a nice well, a nice graffiti uh, sort of painting. And I love graffiti with the, with the artistry and with the creativeness that some of these great creative young graffiti artists can come up with. But there's a difference between graffiti and the Mona Lisa. They're different. And um, you recognize that. There's a difference between Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali's grandson. Uh, I, I think we know that. I think we know the game that's being played here. It's a bit of a shell game. And again, that's part of the reason why people were blessed where people watch us because we're going to tell you the truth. It's not going to be based on anything else but what the truth is. And you know what? Nowadays, I have to laugh when people come up to me and say, Teddy, we watch that show because you tell the truth. And I laugh to myself. And they're like, Ted, what are you laughing for? Well, because that there's a market for the truth. That's supposed to be automatic. I do. I laugh. I really do. I, I say, but that's, that's not supposed to be something that's like hard to find or something that's special. That's supposed to be like, you know, it's supposed to be like every day. 
No, it's not every day. You get these guys that are telling you this. That it's just nice to get that. So I appreciate that. Ken appreciates. Rob appreciates that. Uh, and I know the people out there that don't appreciate it. But you know what? We appreciate that you don't appreciate it. That's why we do it. Figure that one out. Riddle me that, Batman. <laughs> you remember that show? Riddle me that, Batman. Go ahead, kid. Take me. Let's jump into the main event. Lomachenko puts on a boxing display again. I mean, he won it. I, I think he had it 117. I don't know, 117, 109, 118, 108. I don't know. He basically, uh, I think two judges gave it, gave uh, Comey one round. I think the other judge gave him two or three rounds. But Loma just outboxed him all night long, knocked him down. At one point, Loma was battering him and was looking to like, I don't know. I couldn't quite tell if he was looking to the ref and the, the Comey's corner or both of them at different times. But it looked like Loma had him hurt and was basically suggesting to the someone to stop the fight before the guy really gets hurt. And, um, yeah, I thought that that was interesting. Um, but, you know, classic Vasily Lomachenko performance. He outboxed Comey all night. Credit to Comey. He's a game tough guy. He's like, you know how you always describe these guys as there's levels to this. And Comey is like, he's on that level. He's a former world champ. But once you get up against the Tiafimo Lopez, the Lomachenko, those guys are just a step better. Not much, but they're always a step better, and uh, that's why Loma was an eight hundred to one, eight to one favorite. He did what he had to do, got the guy out of there, and uh, sorry, got the decision, but handedly got the decision. What'd you think of that? And what'd you think about Loma asking the uh, ref or the corner to stop the fight? Uh, listen, first of all, Lomachenko, you know, he's he's the magician, you know. He's he's the he's the guy. What's the name of that uh, artist that makes things disappear? The Copperfield, David Copperfield. Yeah, he, he's he's David Copperfield of boxing to a certain degree. You know, here one minute, gone the next. Oops, where to go? Disappeared. Oh, there it is. It's in your pocket. What? What? Oh, <laughs> how, how to get in my pocket? He's brilliant. This uh, he he's really great. Uh, listen, as far as what was going on when he did that, that's part of his brilliance too. And I'm going to explain it to you, Ken, uh, the way that I feel. Obviously, uh, he. When he was calling for, first of all, he did legitimately have the guy hurt. But a lot of people have never seen that. Matter of fact, the commentator said, I never saw that before. I, 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 I don't think that's ever been done. It has been done before. It's not a first. Uh, it was done years ago. I remember watching it when Larry Holmes, uh, the great Larry Holmes, was heavyweight champ, and he was defending it against the not-so-great Marvis Frazier, the son, again, the son of the great Joe Frazier. Marvis Frazier, hey, not, not every son can live up to what the father is uh, and necessarily get the same, the same genetics uh, that, the father, that the father had or the same will, the same drives, the same power. Uh, Joe Frazier was very special. Joe Frazier was a very special uh, heavyweight champion of the world. But 
Marvis Frazier was 10 and 0. I think uh I think Holmes was I believe he was about 40 and 0, whatever. But Marvis Frazier got the fight on network television because it was Marvis Frazier. And um, things didn't go too well. And he was getting destroyed by the great Larry Holmes. And Larry Holmes was playing with him. And Larry Holmes turned to the ref and said, what are you going to do? You're going to have me kill this guy? You're going to stop it? You're going to say, he was like holding him, bang, hey, bang. And then you look at the referee like, hey, what are you going to do? You got, bang. Hey, well, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to stop this or you're going to make me hurt this guy? Come on, bang. I mean, what are you going to do? So <laughs> it was, it's been, there's a precedent for it. Um, it's been done before. Uh, I think I know why, exactly why it, it was done by Lomachenko. I just talked about how brilliant he is in the ring, how special he is in the ring, how magical he is, how smart. Well, he's smart in other areas too. It is an entertainment business. We talked about, we were talking about the kid who I, I think is a nice kid um, that came in with the the Pip Daddy uh, outfit on, right? Why, why is that done, Ken? It's done to get attention, right? It's done for publicity, PR purposes. You know, it, it's done to make money, hopefully, that it drives more people to know who you are. Well, Lomachenko is not devoid of understanding that, even though he's already been a three-time, three-division champion. Lomachenko understands that, but his way of getting attention besides just fighting well, his way of being a showman is not to come in with a jazzed up outfit. His way was to do this. This is what it was for me. He understood that he was number one pound for pound on top of the mountain. And he got beat by Lopez. And he had somewhere to come back. And he's come back. He beat the excuse me, he beat the Japanese fighter. Now he goes and beats the former world champion Comey. And he knew there was a moment there to be a showman. A moment there to say the great Lomachenko is back. Without saying it at a press conference without saying it in front of microphones that's not his style first of all he doesn't talk great english that's not his style he came up with another way again brilliant where he said okay here's my minute to be a showman here's my moment to have the stage where i say lomachenko the great lomachenko is back to greatness that he's on a stage here in front of everyone and he's so brilliant, he's so special, he's so different that he has to ask the corner to save their guy. He has to ask the corner to intercede and save their guy. So he does that. The moment was there, Comey was hurt, he had control of everything, he could do it, and he did it. And that's why he did it. Now, is there a little bit of something else going on? I'm going to go deeper than... Well, I already went probably deeper than a lot of people would be thinking. they just thinking maybe whatever. But there's also a little compassion there. And I'll tell you in a funny way. How's a fighter going to be compassionate? Because that's that could hurt him. You know, you got to have that killer instinct, all that stuff, right? That eye of the tiger, you know, all that stuff. But he's changed in his life. He's changed. 
a little bit since the loss. Those things happen. They happen to us. They happen to us as people. They make you reflect. They make you reflect on life, on different things. And from what I understand, and, uh, and the commentators, com- commentators touched on it, what I understand through other sources is that Lomachenko, since his loss, has become more connected to his family, to, to, to understanding that there's more to life, if you will, than just being in a ring, being a world champion. And, and we should all understand that. We should all understand that. But he had a moment to reflect when he lost of who's going to be there when no one else is there. And it can bring you to a certain place. It can bring you back to reality. It can bring you maybe back to a better place as a human being, quite frankly. We could probably all use that kind of reflection sometimes, to be honest. And that was a little bit connected maybe to that too, that in thinking in those kind of quarters now, those kind of terms, those kind of ways, like he's he is thinking in a more human way, like, I don't want to hurt this guy, uh, stop this fight. So I think it was a combination of that, the change in his life since he lost the title, and the reflections that have been there for him to reflect on where he is as a person and what he wants to be as a person. I think a combination of that and a moment, the brilliant moment of a brilliant entertainer who doesn't go and say a lot of stuff necessarily to the press and definitely doesn't wear all kinds of crazy Macho Camacho, and I love Macho Camacho, Hector Macho. I did. He was, I loved him. He was one of the fastest fighters ever and, and a very sad ending and, and not a bad kid. I know he ended in a bad way, but I don't care. I, he wasn't in his soul. He wasn't a bad kid. He was a kid. He never grew up. He was a kid. Uh, but there was something very likable about that kid uh, if you got to see it and to know it and not just to know what the newspaper articles said. But as you would say, I digress. What I'm saying here with Loma is that, yeah, he also noticed an opportunity to be an entertainer, to grab the spotlight again, to grab his place of greatness again. To remind people, shake them a little bit. Hey, you forgot me, huh? You forgot me! Don't forget me. Look what I'm doing. So I think it was a combination of all those things. Um, What I think it also did, besides bring attention to him in that kind of way, I think that it he lost the rhythm of the fight a little. He allowed Comey to recover. I think he was on the verge of knocking him out. If he kept that rhythm going, hitting him shots he wasn't seeing, stepping to the side, stepping out, stepping in, uh, I think he would stop him. But going up and down beautifully, beautifully, I think he would have stopped him. But he allowed a very game, big-hearted Coleman, and he deserves credit for that, to recover. And he never got the rhythm of that fight again. And to that point, and I'll tell you something, even though he continued to win round after round, uh, take him apart piece by piece, which he did, brick by brick. I mean, he was just taking him apart, pot shotting, just you know, having target practice at some point. But something else happened very interesting for me. Comey started taking the punch better. And yeah, Loma slowed down a little bit, coasted in spots, but he started taking the punch better. 
Comey did. And I'll tell you why. His pride was hurt. He was embarrassed by that move by by Loma. He was embarrassed. He's a proud guy. He's a good guy, this this uh this Comey. I, I know people that tell me he's a very decent human being and a very humble human being. And he he was embarrassed. And I think his pride elevated his concentration level to the point where he said, I'm not getting hurt anymore. I don't give a damn. I might get beat. Now I'm getting beat, but and I'm taking a beating. But I ain't getting I ain't getting hurt. I'm not going down no more. I'm not going down no more. He made up his mind. The mind is a powerful thing. And seventy five percent of this is mental in this business. And it was similar. I always use I cross reference movies. You know that. The fans I they understand. Yep. And and I would cross reference because sometimes movies parallel life, real life. I would cross reference the Rocky movie. I think it was Rocky Four when when Rocky was uh, in there with the big giant Russian who was supposed to squash him. I will crush. I will. I will break you. Uh, I will break you. And he was in there. I don't think my my kids are gonna get on me again. You got to work on your your imitations a little better, but. When, in that fight, there was something real about that, even though it looked like nothing but hokey movie stuff, where Rocky suddenly said, I'm not getting dropped anymore. I'm not getting dropped anymore. I'm not getting hurt anymore. And he started walking through this giant Russian fighter. Come on, come on, hit me. Come on, come on. Yeah, And I I ain't going down no more. That, That happens. That happens in life. It happens. It can happen. And I believe that you make up your mind. And I think some of that happened a little bit with Comey, where I ain't going down no more. I'm not getting hurt no more. You might beat the crap out of me, but I'm, I'm putting all my thinking, my eggs in one basket of, of just that you're not hurting me no more. I, I refuse to relent because there's always a tiny bit of submission in defeat. There's always a time, unless you get a hit a punch you don't see and you don't have time to have an answer. You don't have time to argue it. But other than that, if you're seeing the punches, you, to a certain degree, you can take them to the referee stops it, you know, or whatever. Uh, it does get to that point where it's too much. I, nobody understands that better than me, uh, the accumulation. But you can make a resolve like steel, like steel, where you just say, no, I'm not going there. I am not going there. I am not going to be a co-conspirator to my demise. I am not going to cooperate. I am not. I am not. I am not. And I think he got to that place. I think he, you know, part of being hurt and then knocked out, there's two separate parts to it, Ken, where you get hurt and there's a blind light. Uh, Ali talked about this too, the great Ali. But there's a blind light, and obviously I've seen that light. And you, and then all of a sudden you start going down. And listen, of course I'm painting a picture right now, but you you start going to explain it. But you start going down a corridor, and as you go down the corridor, there's less light. And Ali even talked about this. And there's less light. And I put my own explanation onto it too, from what I felt and from what Ali talked about too. But where, as you go down a corridor, you, you look down and there's a dark room, completely pitch black. And at some point when you see the light getting dimmer, you make a decision. 
you allow yourself to continue going down that corridor to, and then you're knocked out, by the way, or you stop and you start going back towards the light. That's it. And I want for all the fans, since I'm on it, I want for all of you out there that are listening right now, I want you to understand that this is a lesson in life, not just in the ring. Do you choose to be knocked out by life or do you choose to go back towards the light? Because I get it. Sometimes that feels like you're going down that corridor to less and less and less light to that dark room. I want you to know it's your choice. It is to, to stop and go back towards the light or unfortunately continue to the dark room and, um, and what's there, which is darkness and no hope. And it's done and you're out. And, but you have a say about it. You do. You have a say. And I believe that if I can explain that to you just a little bit, and it can help you in some kind of way in your life sometimes when you do feel like you're going down that freaking corridor to the dark place that you can stop and go towards the light. And that's what a fighter, and I believe that to a certain extent that's what Comey did and what other fighters that we've seen this kind of uh, action, uh, this kind of uh, response, this kind of refusal to be taken to that final place where you're unconscious, where you're on the floor. Uh, and I believe that's what it was. I believe that Comey was just saying, just like the fictional character in the Rocky movie, Balboa, was saying, no, I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not getting hurt anymore. And I thought the brilliance of, uh, the brilliance of Lomachenko, where he's different than some fighters, is the way his technique, the level of his technique, along with his physical abilities and his athleticism, but he's not a big puncher. He's not a huge puncher. But he hits you clean. He can hurt you. And he hits you from different angles. But his technique, you know, making you miss, making you pay, you know, uh, his legs. He reminds me, early on, he reminded me of a young Pacquiao, where Pacquiao's legs, not just his hands, was so explosive, that so fast that he could close a hole he could close the gap so quick on you, you couldn't do nothing about it. You know, just close the gap, bang, and he hit you. And that's what Lomachenko was doing with those left hands. He was just closing the gap on him so fast. Bam! And, and Kobe couldn't react to it quick enough because of the legs. Everyone looks at the hands and say, oh, look at his quick hands. But his legs are what sets that up. His legs are what makes that possible. And, and I also... At the very beginning, Ken, I, I, I try to see everything. I think you know that by now. You wouldn't camp for me. <laughs> you know, I, uh, <laughs> you gotta have it a, if you got a habit of picking your nose while I'm walking by the ring, I might say, hey, you, you, come on. You're picking your nose. Pick now. The, ca the, cam the cameras are coming in a little while. You Get that done. Get that finished, all right? Uh, <laughs> so I, I saw... When they walked out, a lot of people are going to say, what? I saw when they walked out. Now, Comey, and I like the kid. I just told enough good things about him. He said, and what a game kid. But he walked out like somebody, you know, going to New York for the first time, walking around and seeing all the sights. He walked out like, you know, he was sightseeing, that he was looking, not in a bad way, 
but he was happy, he was smiling, he's looking around, he, he's he's noticing people, he's looking, he's saying hello, he's 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 shaking hands. He's again, he's like a guy, like a almost like a tourist. And 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 listen, he got in there and he showed great heart, he showed great physical strength, everything. But I'm just saying something I, that that seemed to be his attitude, his his maybe that's what kept him loose. Fine. But wow, what a stark difference from if you notice such things of watching Lomachenko. That guy was walking at a he was walking at a brisk pace to get to work. <laughs> like like a guy like there's no uh, uh, he's walking brisk straight ahead, nothing else. I'm getting to work and I'm getting this freaking job done and then I'm going home. I mean, that was the first thing I noticed was yeah. Yeah. That that's his and and then when I look at his father and then you look at some other guys you know whether it's the corner the father I mean forget about Lopez's father a few weeks ago oh my god but you know <laughs> but you look at his father Lomachenko's father it's like looking at Bill Belichick I mean he's got the personality of an onion right I mean he's got the you know not in a bad way but I mean he's got put it this way he's got not the personality because once you get to know Mr. Lomachenko you know he's a smart thoughtful man but when you first look at him and you you hear him, well, the first thing strikes him strikes you. You don't hear him. You don't hear him unless he has to say something. So he he is he's he's not that flamboyant guy. Um, he's he's Bill Belichick. You ever hear Bill Belichick? You you love the Patriots. That's your team. You, Bill Belichick at a press conference, Ken. I mean, uh, I mean, he's you know you're not a you're not going to mistake him, you know, for being Mick Jagger, right? I mean, he's... <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Yeah, he's just... Yeah, he's, he's just right, a, right to the... Demure, they're just all business there. Just a demure guy. It's all business. You ask him a question, you think... Someone's like, well, yeah, yeah, but well, we could have done that. We ran. He goes, no. Well, why didn't you not uh, run the ball on... Fourth down, uh, on third down there, when it looked like you could didn't call for it. <laughs> yeah, perfect I mean, description. You know, and that's it. And you're waiting for more. You're waiting for more. So, Mr. Lomachenko is that guy. He's Bill Belichick, and he gets the job done. And and that's one of the things you notice. We're not we're putting things out there. I'm trying not trying to knock anyone, but you put out things there that are there to put out. At the end of the day. I know there's two different fighters, two different talents. I get it. But Lomachenko was better prepared than the other corner or the other. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could see it. He's just better prepared. You had one guy in the corner saying, fight the guy, you know, fight Lomachenko. And you had another guy who I happen to agree with was saying, no, no, he's got to be smart. Because he understood, like Cus used to tell me, when you got a guy like Lomachenko, like we used to try to teach guys, make them miss, make them pay, the peekaboo style, all that stuff. When you got a, like when you fought Tyson, when he was good, when you got a, when you're good and you're doing that right, and you got a guy try to fight you more, they get beat up more. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get beat up more because they go right into the, the blade of the lawnmower. They go right in there and they get chopped up. And you, you have to have a better plan than that. And so the one trainer would say, no, 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 he's got to be smart. He wasn't saying exactly how to do it, but you got to be smart. And, and the other guy, you got to go fight him. 
Well, you try <laughs> fighting them because uh, I've been doing that and I'm getting nothing but a headache. Uh, so why don't you go try it, you know? <laughs> and, and then the one time, I got to say too, the one time somebody in the corner said to him, how you feel? How the freak would, do you feel? <laughs> how do you think I feel? I, like I need about 100 Andersons right now. Uh, <laughs> you got any Bay Aspen? How the hell do you think I feel? How do I feel? <laughs> yep. Well, you know, listen, we... I don't, I don't want to rush you here, but I know that everyone's tuning in to hear about the uh, UFC card. So with that being said, before we jump into the UFC, I know you've got some thoughts on our latest sponsor, Fight Camp. You got anything else on Loma before we get into the UFC? No. All right. Loma if did I do, exactly. I, I have no problem interrupting you, as the fans have witnessed. <laughs> That's why they love you. Um, well, listen, Fight Camp, we've been talking about this for a few weeks now. Teddy, I know you have it in your house. I'm curious to hear what your experience has been so far, but let me just cover the formalities so for the fans who might be listening for the first time. Fight Camp is an in-home boxing workout piece of equipment that is, uh, for me, one of the one of the best holiday gift ideas you can find. Um, the whole family can use it. Uh, Fight Camp brings the best workout in the world into your home, makes it fun. You can learn how to box, a kickbox, all from the comfort of your home with access to world-class training programs, elite trainers, premium equipment, and smart technology that turns your workout into an interactive experience. They've got thousands of individual classes. You watch the classes on your on any device you like, a phone, a computer, a TV. You you can choose quick workouts as short as 20 minutes, or you can really get into it by stacking multiple workouts together to create a two-hour workout for yourself if you can handle that kind of training, like the great Rob Moore, inventor of the uppercut. I believe that's what um, our man uh, Martin at uh, Trinity Boxing Club once claimed, that Rob Moore, the great Rob Moore, invented the uppercut. At least Martin, that's what he was telling is a, He's great. He's great. He's, he's a great guy. His fighters. Fight Camp comes with the whole package. You get the gear. You get the gloves. Uh, like I said, great for the whole family. Now's the best time to get Fight Camp. Take advantage of their holiday pricing going on now to save over $200 on a Fight Camp package. If you purchase this month, you'll also get an additional pair of beautiful boxing gloves valued at $149. They're yours for free. The deal's going on now. Get in before it ends or they run out of inventory, but they've got plenty, so get in now. Just go to joinfightcamp.com slash atlas to take advantage and get the new gloves. Like I said, free pair of gloves, save 200 bucks, and go to joinfightcamp slash atlas, joinfightcamp.com slash atlas. The great thing about Fight Camp is that you want to know what the freak you're doing. You want to do more than just work up a sweat. You want to you wanna do it right. You want to know that your technique is right, like Lomachenko. How the fuck you think Lomachenko got that technique? Somebody was watching him. Tell him, no, 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 no. You didn't move after your punch. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, you came back to the middle. You need to step to the side where he can't hit you. Okay. So it's great. Uh, I just think it's uh, a great product, and I'm happy we're involved with it. And um, I want to finish up with Lomachenko uh, by saying this, which is really important. I made a note to myself First of all, I think towards the end of the fight when he decided maybe just to keep pot shotting and, you know, he couldn't get the knockout anymore. The 
the horse was out of the barn, so to speak. But he still was kind of hoping he could get to drop the guy again. And I think there was a way he could have. And I'm in no way giving instruction to his father who does a magnificent job. But for me, the one way he could have gotten it was at the end, instead of forcing it or going in to the trenches or into the lion's you know, den, if you will, to get it, where there was more danger. Because part of it was at that point, you didn't want to take a risk, you know, Ken? At that point, you didn't you didn't want to, the guy's still strong, the guy's a good puncher, call me, very game guy. You didn't want to take a risk. You win in a fight easy, why take a risk? But you still like to get a knockout if you could or, or something kind of sensational, you know, finish, um, but without the risk. And I think there was a way to do that by setting a trap, by jabbing, stepping out, because Coleman was starting to reach, and he was prone to reaching at that point because he was desperate. He knew that the only way he could yeah. win was to land a big punch. And I think he could have taken a little advantage of the moment the uh, and the information of that to, to kind of step out, jab, step out, set a trap where Coleman would reach, and then without the danger, without the risk of going in close to do it, you could catch him in space. You could catch him reaching out with a clean shot and maybe drop him and get that kind of finish. The last thing I want to say is this. We understand that Loma's on that track again. We understand that he looked great. We understand that it was a complete beatdown. It was a master class, and it was. It was a master class. But we better understand something else. As people, as professionals, where the responsibility is, those so-called commissions out there, the trainers out there that make money with these kids, like with Comey or any of them, you got a responsibility to look out for your kid. And what I mean by this, very seriously, and I hope people are listening and people are, are going to do this, where you recognize that Comey did more than just lose a fight and put his heart out. He took a lot of punches, a lot of punches. He would have probably been better off if, if in some ways, if Lomachenko had stopped him early because he went on the rest of the night taking punches and punches and punches. There's damage to the accumulation of those punches. There, there is something that goes with that. And you better... It's your responsibility as a so-called trainer. And there's a lot of joke trainers out there. They're jokes. They are. I'm sorry you don't like it. They're jokes. But there's also good trainers. But, and there's responsible ones. You better be responsible and understand your kid wasn't just game. After you finish applauding how game he is, and go ahead, do it. Because I'm applauding how game he is. You better lay him off for a long time. You better get him tested. You better not let him get in the ring for the next nine months to a year, I feel, at least. Give him rest. Don't put him right back just because he went the distance. He took those punches. Don't ignore that fact. Don't ignore the fact that he took all those punches, please. We got a human being here, a great human being from everything I've been told. Look out for him. He looked out for you. He went on. He went on and he did what you asked him to do. You didn't stop the fight, right? He went on. He kept fighting like a warrior. He made you proud. Well, make him proud. Don't let him fight. 
make sure that he gets the rest he needs before he fights again. And no, and you commissioners out there with some of you a joke. Yeah, I said it. I said it. You're a joke. Don't be a joke. Don't be a freaking joke. Do your job. You know, you get paid to do your job. Tax pay people's money for the most part. A lot of you do your job. And don't allow this kid to get back into the ring again for at least nine months to a year. I know your protocol is if a guy gets stopped, then he gets suspended for a mandated period of time. But he didn't get stopped, so then maybe he's not. No, he still needs to be suspended for a mandated period of time, even though he didn't get stopped because he took a lot of punches. Recognize that. Recognize that. Please. Please. Be responsible. Be a, Do your job. And make sure that he gets the proper test and the proper time off before he gets back in the ring. That's all. Beautiful. I uh, couldn't agree more. Uh, speaking of Christmas gifts, Teddy, for those who haven't done so already, they may not know that um, your audio book is available. The paperback's available on Amazon, but it's also available from Audible. Atlas, From the Streets to the Ring, A Son Struggled to Become a Man. There it is for those watching on YouTube. Uh, available in the audio version. I've listened to it two or three times while I run. You can... It's incredible there's a tons of uh, wisdom and experience in there also for those who uh like to work out check out box raw teddy's 36 collection from box raw all kinds of boxing workout apparel i think you'll really enjoy it and if you want a christmas or a holiday um greeting from teddy a personalized message check out cameo search teddy atlas and teddy will send you a personal uh message oh one other thing that's available okay there are pictures available of Rob leading by a step and a half <laughs> on a beautiful beach in Mexico, beating Ken, beating the Ken, the great Ken Rideout, the great marathon wizard, the, the champion. <laughs> there is photos. They won't be available for long because somehow they're disappearing. Somebody's buying them all up. <laughs> Somebody is buying them at huge quantities, huge <laughs> quantities. And then for some reason, my sources tell me they're not getting back on the marketplace. They're just gone. <laughs> they're just gone. So I'll be the, I'll be the first one to share those with anyone who's interested. I love Rob. If 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 there's one person that I root for to be better than me, it's Rob Moore. Um, That's that, I know With that. That Let's being said, Let's talk about a, another incredible show from the UFC. There's a ton to cover. We'll be here all day if we talk about them all. But let's get right into the uh, the main and the co-main. Let's start with the women. And my God, I have, I have I'm dying to hear your thoughts on this. Juliana Pena just put it on the champion. I mean, she was beating her to the punch all night long. And I'm dying to get your thoughts here because early on, as I was watching it with my wife in Mexico at like one o'clock in the morning, I was making her watch. Of course, she wanted to go to sleep. Teddy, I was noticing that Juliana Pena would, they would both throw a jab at the same time. Um, and Juliana Pena would slip her head to her own right and throw a left jab. And it was just a, like an inch longer than Nunez punch, than Nunez left. And it would just hit her right solid in the mouth and she'd slip off. Then she'd slip back to her left and throw an overhand right over the top of Nunez jab and clip her every time. And it was like she found this perfect formula. And as soon as she started 
hitting that, hitting those shots. It was like the momentum just, if, if Nunez had the confidence coming in of the champion and Pena the challenger, as soon as she realized she could get her with that jab and slip and hit the jab and then hit her with the overhand right, then Nunez at one point took her to the canvas and then Pena got on the canvas. But at the finish, it, it appeared to me, and you've, you see this sometimes in fighting, I think that McGregor did this against Nate Diaz. When someone's putting it on you in the UFC, it's almost like a silent agreement, like, all right, let me just give you my back. Just choke me because I can't get out of here. I'm not going to tap from strikes, but I'm going to let you get out. She didn't even have the hooks in. She didn't have her wrapped up. She just sunk in a rare naked choke with, with, without having really her body locked down, where you could argue that if, if, if Nunez really wanted to be in that fight, you're not choking a you're not choking that kind of veteran with a rare naked choke without securing the body either with the leg triangle or getting at least one hook in but she 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 put the rear naked Nunez tapped right away not to take anything away from Nunez but I feel like Juliana Pe Juliana Peña surprised her and overwhelmed her and it looked just like the 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 not that Amanda Nunez ever came off like a bully but the bully almost became bullied and it just looked like Pena just started to control and believe in herself and just, wow, what a performance. Juliana Pena, 11, 11 to 1 underdog, becomes the new UFC champion. How'd you like that one? And what'd you think about the, uh, the, the stand-up skills, what I was describing about how she was slipping and connecting with that jab and then the overhand right, right over Nunez's jab? We talk about, the commentators mention it too. Uh, they do a great job. But you talk about the first comparison comes to you is Buster Douglas and Tyson when you think of the enormity of the upset, you know, Ken? But I was surprised they didn't mention one that was pretty damn enormous right in their own sport, and that was Holm and Rousey. People forget how dominant Rousey was. I mean, Rousey was a monster. I mean, she was Godzilla. And, you know... And when she got stopped and beaten, submitted, uh, knocked out, whatever was the final um, result of technically of it, but she got beat by Holly Holm, who was, was a former fighter who I used to watch fight box on ESPN because I was calling her fights uh, early in her boxing career. So it was it was like that. She got broken. She got physically, she being Nunes, she got physically and mentally, emotionally broken. Uh, I saw that. I witnessed it. And as far as what you're talking about, Ken, with the jab, call it the sweet science, if you will. Welcome to the sweet science, people. It's not just about being tough and brutal. And physical is about being smart and smarter than your opponent and having a little edge. She had a little edge because she moved ahead a little bit to the, as you said, you described, kind of like when you watch the pickable style of Mike Tyson, where Mike Tyson was Mike Tyson, where you would see him slip to either side as he jabbed simultaneously. So he, his jab would land and the other jab would miss. And he would discourage you from throwing your jab because of that. Besides hurting you, you know, physically impacting you with the jab. But he made you hesitant about throwing your jab. Made you think twice. And made you feel like you weren't in control. Which is what eventually, ultimately happened 
We're paying you. She made Nunes feel like she wasn't in control anymore. She's used to being in control. That's the thing. You know, I saw in that fight like I saw in a Loma fight. I saw right from the beginning, I talked about Loma walking to the ring. To me, was telling. He was just walking at a brisk pace to, to go to work. He wasn't sightseeing like Comey was a little bit, a little bit. But I noticed as they were getting the instructions in the center of the ring, Ken, oh, my God. Did you see her eyes? Did anybody, nobody commented on it, and sometimes they comment on this stuff, but sometimes they, they used to say it when I don't know if there was a reason to say it. But this was a reason to say it. Kind of like Duran, when he Duran was Duran, or Sonny Liston, when Sonny Liston was Sonny Liston, and he melted people, and they melted people with their eyes. You, I looked at the eyes of Nunes, and I was like, oh my God. She's so focused. She's the description of what they mean when you're locked in. When people say locked in, sometimes they're just saying it because they heard someone else say it. But you're supposed to be saying it when you recognize something like that. Locked in. She was laser locked in. Where she was cold, detached. I mean, if you would have checked her pulse, there would have been no pulse. She was that cold at a moment that you're usually not that cold. Staring at her, looking at her, not for effect, not to intimidate her, not to put a show on, because she was that focused. She was that coldly focused and locked in to a mission. She was the Terminator. I mean it. I really, I mean it, Ken. She was the Terminator. She was not leaving there without the belt. And she's been so calling for, it for a long time too. Juliana Pena was like when even when she was just up and coming, she was a candidate or a contestant on the Ultimate Fighter for the last like two or three years, however long it was. She's been calling for Amanda Nunez forever when like you barely knew who she was. And I remember thinking, like, man, this girl is trying to talk herself into a fight with the champ. I thought it was aggressive because I knew who she was, but not you you wouldn't have expected someone that low in the rankings to be that aggressively calling out the champ for several years. So when she got there, it was almost like when she won, it was like, I've been telling you guys I could beat her for the longest time. But, you know, a lot of people posture like that in combat sports to see someone deliver. Man, it was so refreshing. And I love Amanda Nunez. She seems like a, a wonderful person. She trains down there at American Top Team with Dustin Poirier, Mikey Brown and the crew. So it's hard not to like her. But it's hard not to root it for Juliana Pena. I think they said she's the first champion that's ever given birth to a child. Amanda Nunez has a, has a child with her wife, but I think that the wife carried the carried the baby, and Juliana Pena, the first woman to ever deliver a child and become the UFC a UFC champion. So and you saw the child with her, which was a great crazy. picture. Beautiful. And you saw her in there. It was a great picture. Great picture. Great picture. Uh, you proud of your mommy? champion wow 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 i'm surprised there aren't more more women that have given birth because i feel like once you've given birth women just get like it's like being the champion makes you 30 percent tougher women i've seen in sports especially endurance sports having a child i feel like they get 30 percent faster and in this and in juliana pena's case 30 percent tougher my god she uh 
Credit to her, man. That was just a, it was a good story all around. Good sportsmanship from both parties. They were aggressive towards each other, but not disrespectful and very uh, appreciative of each other in, in after the fight. And Amanda Nunez was all class in defeat. Yeah, no, they both were. You know, I was surprised when I was listening to the commentator, and they they all really experts at what they do. They were talking about the size and strength of of. Um, of Nunes, which everyone kind of appreciates that and understands that, it's been an advantage uh, to her to a certain extent, um, besides everything else that's part of her great skill level. But I didn't see it that way. When they were saying that, I was looking, I was saying, did anyone notice that this uh, Pena is pretty big and strong too? Like I'm looking at her body, I'm saying she's strong yeah. and big too. So I was thinking of that. Listen, the first round, um, the first round went to Nunes, but I think this is sound crazy to some people. I think Pena gained confidence from that first round, losing the first round, because, and I think the opposite happened for Nunes. Nunes might have even thought I underestimated her. I don't know. I don't know. But all I'm telling you is that that first round that definitely went to the champion, Nunes, Peña went into the lion's den, literally, because she calls herself the lioness, I guess. She went into the lion's den, went into her turf, mm -hmm. and I came out of it. Well, I'm going back in there, and she ain't coming out. <laughs> and she ain't coming out and you know what she didn't she her chin was like the chin of like Rocky Marciano <laughs> and I mean and and like uh, you know uh, Muhammad Ali I mean her was her chin was you know the only thing more Stronger than her chin, more granite than her chin, her will. And that's part of what makes up a chin. That's part of what makes up a chin. Her will was so strong, you could feel it. It actually it transmitted through the TV. You could actually feel it. And she was not being denied. She just was not being denied. And everything. Uh, she broke. If you know what you're watching, you could see it and feel it. There was a moment she broke Nunes. That's what I mean. I feel like I feel like that's what she did by giving up her back. I didn't think that that choke was in there to the extent that you'd get a champion like Nunes to tap. But I feel like she was like, "All right, I, I need to like." <laughs> she came out of that first round bolstered, Ken. Yeah, that with something that I tell my kids, tell my grandchildren. I bet you, you tell your kids. And if you don't, I tell you to tell them, but you've been around me long enough to have heard it. Um, there are no boogeymen in this world, or boogie ladies. And um, she came out of that first round and said, there's no boogeyman here. There's no boogie woman here. It's just a woman here, a person like me. I'm going to beat her. I always told my son, I used to tell fighters this, but I always told my son, and my daughter, but my son being my son, I would tell him, Bud, listen to me. And now in his career in the NFL with the you know, with the Raiders and everything, 
I would say, Bud, listen, when you evaluate these guys, when you look at these great, great, great physical specimens and athletes, and they are great, remember one thing, no matter how they talk, no matter how they perform on film, no matter what you've seen, no matter what, how extraordinary it is, there are no Superman. Believe me, as much as they look like it, they sooner or later, there's kryptonite somewhere. And you know what? It just, it, it perfectly brought that home again. It really did. It brought that home again. That second round was incredible to both these young women, these gladiators. That was incredible, that second round, Ken. The punishment they took and, and, and stood there. And yeah, you do that. You know, that, you know they should have played that music. Um, anything you can do, I can do better. I mean, you hit me with that, bang! Yeah, well, how about this? Bang! Oh, that was a good one. How about this one? Boom! Oh, that was, ooh, that was real good. How about this one? Boom! Oh, yeah, that was, that was pretty good, too. I mean, I mean, it was extraordinary. It was just really incredible. All my, all my applause, all my respect to both those, those women. And, um... Hail the new king, or should I say queen? Hail the new queen. Hail the new queen. And that brings us to the main event. Before I do that, I just want to remind everyone, if you liked the way Pena would slip that jab and throw that overhand right over the jab, you can learn a lot of those techniques on dynamic striking. Uh, Teddy's got a whole tutorial video series on dynamic striking, makes an excellent Christmas gifts. Christmas gift, and if you've got some last-minute donating to do before the year ends, get those tax deductions in. Please go to the Dr. Atlas Foundation and considering making a small donation to the Dr. Atlas Foundation. Teddy and his and his team do excellent work on Staten Island and helping people uh, that are less fortunate than some of us, and um, they really do do a good job. And um, in the spirit of giving, please give what you can. With that being said, Teddy, let's talk about the main event. This is probably the least I've ever looked forward to discussing a fight in my life. Very painful to see Dustin lose here in the championship fight. Dustin Poirier gets submitted rear naked choke to Charles Oliveira that continues to look unbelievable from where he was earlier in his career. His development has been incredible. I think he surprised a lot of people with his... um, with his skills in this fight against Dustin. Um, you know, I heard Dustin say I was just texting back and forth with him uh, this morning, and he's, you know, obviously he's very disappointed, but he's he's a, he's, he, he's a champion for, he's got a champion mindset for a reason. He's He knows it's a bump in the road, and he's got, you know, pick the pieces up. But, um, you know, in the first round, in between first and second, he thought, Um, This is it. I'm about to be the world champion. He was boxing beautifully. It was literally like Charles had no answer for the straight lefts that Charles, that that, uh, Dustin was throwing right down the middle. He was connected almost on every single one of them. And I think Oliveira realizing that said, okay, I am not going to win a fight in this, in this, to use your terminology, in this geography. This fight for me to win has to be on the canvas. He got him down there and uh, to Oliveira's credit, he controlled him there. He 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 got him in uh, on the ground early into the second round, 
And Dustin, you know, after the fight said, look, there was nothing I could really do. I, it, Dustin had him in the full guard. Dustin said he didn't want to try to like hip escape or scoot back towards the fence where he might be able to get out of that position. He was content to just hold on and try to get out of the round because he was afraid that with Charles BJJ skills that if he tried to hip escape or tried to like sweep Oliveira off him, he was afraid of giving up his back. He knew he was vulnerable in that position with a jiu-jitsu player like Charles. So he was content to ride the round out and almost give the round away essentially and try to prevent Charles from doing too much damage. He did exactly that, took some big shots and elbows from the from Charles who obviously had the top position on him. Unfortunately for Dustin, Charles did get his back standing up. Uh, Dustin, in hindsight, said he thought that Charles was a little too high with the um, with the hooks in on his back from the standing position, but that's why Charles is the champion. He said he was so he he was so strong on my back, and then he eventually worked his way into that um, rear naked choke. And Dustin said, "Look, I did everything I could, and you, you know, from having from all of us having seen Dustin been in been in vulnerable positions before, you know, he's not going to tap unless it's." It's all it's it's over. And uh, Charles Oliveira gets the win by rear naked choke. Congratulations to Charles. Very sorry to see Dustin um, lose the opportunity to be the champion. But we know he'll be back if that's what he decides to do. The guy is a world class human being. It's very, very heartbreaking to see him lose. We know what he's been through to get to this point. I was telling you, Teddy, via text. Man, this is one of the hardest things about being involved in combat sports, boxing, or UFC is seeing someone that you genuinely care about come out on the wrong end of a uh, of a fight. It's 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 very hard to watch, and um, you know I hope Dustin's all right emotionally. I know he's okay physically, but uh, yeah, that was a tough one. Curious to hear what your thoughts were on the uh, technical on the technical side. Well, of things. you can't go just technical because. The championship makes somebody 30% better. The old timers always told me that. And you're right. And they're right. And there's a reason why they told me that. It makes you 30% better mentally in a business that's 75% mental. See, we got to start with that before we go into technical stuff because that's where this was. Because there were times where Oliveira wasn't always as appearing to be as determined as a Dustin Poirier. There were times where Oliveira, put it this way, he always fought like a champion, good enough to be a champion, but he didn't always behave good enough to be a champion, and he behaved good enough to be a champion now. And and that comes partly with the 30% getting better with winning a world title, where you now believe in yourself more you now you now know your champion so you now know that you have to behave like one not fight you you already knew how to fight like one how the hell you think you got there you already knew how to do that but now you know how to behave like one now you understand the cement that keeps the bricks you always had the bricks of talent but now you got the cement that keeps those bricks in place even when somebody steps on them and somebody jumps on them, and somebody, you know, stamps on them. They don't move because the belief, because the mental part, that 30% difference of you have something to defend now, something 
that is something that you must defend. That you're called a champion. Well, I better freaking behave like one. Like you automatically, like you, you just, it's like you change when you're a father. You know that. You had the blessing of being a father. I had the blessing of being a grandfather too. But you, be, you become more mature. You become less selfish. You do. You become stronger as a person. Because now you have strength to somebody else. Not just you. You have responsibility and strength towards somebody else. When you win a championship, it's almost like that. Like you represent something other than yourself. Something beyond yourself that's expected, that's demanded, that's mandated. That you act like a freaking champion. And champions don't give in. Champions don't relent. Champions don't make deals. Champions find a way. That's where it starts. Forget about what a great jiu-jitsu guy he is. He is. He's a master. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu master, Oliveira. But he was very similar to someone I mentioned earlier in the show, Buster Douglas. Buster Douglas, before he fought Mike Tyson, was a hell of a good fighter. But he, but he submitted sometimes whether it was to Tony Tucker, whatever. But he said, so you go Google, guys. You guys know how to do that. I heard about Google a couple months ago, and you know, and I still haven't done it because nobody did it for me. But I, I know it's out there. I get my kids to do it. Google this for me. All right, Dad. Google that for you. No problem. And Buster Douglas was good enough to fight champions because he fought like a champion, but he didn't behave like one until the night he fought Tyson. Something happened. His mother died before the fight and something happened. He finally realized that nothing could hurt him. He loved his mother. I know you're supposed to. Some people do more than others. I don't know. I'm sorry about that. He loved his mother. And he realized nothing could hurt him as much as his mother dying including Mike Tyson. He finally had a reason to be strong, not to be weak, not to be just big, not to be just a good guy with a good jab. Be somebody that was strong, somebody that could make his mother proud. That strength went into Tokyo with him, flew all the way across transatlantic, to Tokyo in the ring against 35 to 1 whatever the hell he was Mike Tyson it was a big he was a big favorite <laughs> some people think it was the greatest upsets in sports of all time right up there with the with the hockey team the United States against Russia in in Lake Placid in the Olympics right up there right up there and um it wasn't because of his skills that night he always had those skills it's because of his will was because of who he decided to be that night. A champion for his mother. That's what it was about with Oliveira. Oliveira got 30% better since winning the title. He, he, he wasn't any better the other night. He was tremendous. He was stronger. He wasn't going to 
be a co-conspirator to his demise. He wasn't going to cooperate in his demise. He wasn't going to relent. He wasn't going to submit, not even inch. Because in life, we submit inches, milliseconds, milli, mi, just millimeters. We submit. We do. We do. We do. We do. The ones that submit the less, they accomplish the most. They learn to do that. He didn't submit at all. He refused to. So the first round, the geography had to be for Dustin Poirier had to be to stand, to strike, to control the standing, that area. And he did. He got the geography he needed, he wanted. His coaches wanted. That made sense. They're smart. They understand. They're prepared. And Oliveira didn't. But what happened? Dustin Poirier is one of the best, if not the best, finishers in MMA. He hurts a guy standing. He finishes them. Oliveira survived. He survived. He it was it was almost a little bit like the Nunes fight. And I want to say something about the Nunes fight too that that I think is interesting. It should be said that every 75% of this business is mental just like my business. And when that fight took place and it happened and it was over, something went in the air. Upset. Upsets were in the air. They go in the air. Don't think you don't feel that if you're a professional athlete or a coach in a locker room. All of a sudden, wow, do you see that upset? Upsets in the air. Upset. You start thinking a little bit. It starts sinking or it starts to, like osmosis, it starts to kind of move in on you just a little bit. Like you're on both people, the favorite, the underdog. If you're the underdog and there's a huge upset like that, it permeates in the air just a little bit. I, I've been there. The night that we beat Holyfield, I remember in Caesars Palace in Atlantic City 27 years ago, whatever, where the fight before our fight was Junior Jones and he got upset by a guy named John, I think it was, Chris John or something, and he gets upset, and all of a sudden you hear the commentators, there's a monitor in the dressing room talking about the upset, all of a sudden, upset's in the air, you smell it, you feel it, <laughs> upset's in the air, and if you're a trainer that's trying to take advantage of everything that you can take advantage of, which I happen to be, I took advantage of the best I could, I, I, I didn't wait for it to be heard on a monitor, upset's in the air! <laughs> I let the whole freaking place know. Upsets in the air! Because we were an underdog. So, part of it, I think it, it right there with that huge upset, upsets in the air. You know, of course, Dustin was her favorite. And um, Oliveira, as great as he's been, and talented as he is, um, he was the underdog. Upsets in the air. Upsets in the air. You're not even trying to think about it, but somebody's thinking about it. Somebody's feeling it. So I think that's there too. But the first round happens, and it's in the geography of Dustin Poirier. And he does what Dustin Poirier does. He's a good puncher. He's a great striker, and he's a great finisher. He goes and he hurts, and he's a southpaw. But he has something interesting too. Here it is. He hurts him with the straight left hand, a power punch from the southpaw. 
And you can also hurt a guy with the right hook because they're not used to seeing that punch. An uh, orthodox fighter just isn't used to seeing that. My back hurts, I'm sorry. Orthodox fighter is not used to seeing that punch come from that direction. So it can be it can be very effective, and it is. But first it was the left hands, the straight left hand, the power punch of a southpaw. And he hurts he hurts Oliveira several times. Really hurts him with that punch. As he hurts most guys uh, that he hits. He's beaten so many good fighters we shouldn't forget that Poirier. So many good fighters. So anyway, besides the besides the the biggest fighter and the the fighter that's you know, that's most recognized because of the money he's made, because his notoriety because of his image, the imagery of him, because, you know, he, he, he became this, this superstar being, of course, Conor McGregor. But forget that. He's beaten other fighters really, really. I, I don't mean forget it. He beat Conor McGregor twice, but he's also beaten other guys that might not get all that kind of glamour attached to it or, or that kind of, you know, publicity and fanfare, but they are tremendous fighters. So, first round, he goes and he does his thing. He lands the straight left hand, his power punch, southpaw, and he hurts him. And much like Nunes against Pena, you know, Pena, we didn't know it at the time. The fight had just started. There was going to be a huge upset. She, she loses that first round just like Oliveira did. She loses that first round to Nunes, Pena does. But she gained something. She gained that she could go into the lion's den and come out of it. Well, Oliveira went into the lion's den, went in there with a brilliant striker, a great puncher, a great finisher. You know, came out second best, but he came out. He came out. And the thing that got tested there, that got shown there, that got kind of uh, spotlighted there for me was what he had become now as a champion, that person. Forget about the skills. He got beat in the first round as a striker. But what came out is the difference of him now. He's, just, he's a champion. He's a champion. And he behaved like a champion. He did. And he came out of that almost, I'm not saying winning, but he came out of that like, I can go into your place, Mr. Poirier, where you're great, you are. I can I can go in there, and I came in second best, but I can go in there. I can go in there if I want. That's important to know. And now, I'm going to bring you into my area where I'm the man. And I'm going to see if you can come out of it. And of course, we know Dustin is a tremendous grappler, wrestler. We know that he's done the guillotine on people, so he can handle himself. Obviously, that's, I mean, that's why he's one of the best UFC fighters in the business. But we get past that first round. Why did he survive that first round? That should be the first question. He hurt Oliveira the way he hurts other guys and he finishes them. Why did he not finish Oliveira? Part of what I just said, because Oliveira now had 
that intangible, that X factor. Yeah, yeah, the X factor. Yes. He knew how to behave like a champion. And little things, little things happen. He knew how to survive too, to behave like a champion. And he was a little more rounded, a little more rounded and dimensional with the things that he, the weapons that he had, if you will, to to use. Dustin's got great weapons. He's he's a great puncher, great finisher, great striker, great grappler, wrestler, whatever was the better terms to put it. But Oliveira throws a little something else into the mix. He's got some other things, some other weapons to worry about. You know, he can strike with you, but he also controlled the knees. He controlled leaping knees, jumping knees, whatever the hell you want to call them. Uh, he, he can throw other dimensions at you. And he used those other dimensions to survive. When he got hurt with the left hand, he hit, he used his knees, not his fist. He used that other dimension that he had available to him. He used his knees to hold Dustin off. To hurt Dustin a little bit to the body, quite frankly. But to slow him down, to stop him from finishing him. To stop Dustin from doing what he does so freaking good. Get rid of people. He used his knees to do that. And it worked. And I'll tell you one other thing. It saved, it got him through the round. But he did one other thing, which was very interesting. Dustin catches him a right hook and drops him. Not a left hand, a right hook. And he drops him. Usually when Dustin hurts you, he gets rid of you. I said that already. You've seen it already. Something that was unfortunate for Dustin. We didn't know it at the time. We thought it was fortunate. We, If you're a fan of Dustin's, we thought it was a positive. It was a negative. That he dropped him. Because most people say, oh, that's a positive. He dropped him. Now he's finished him. With this guy, it was a negative. Because he dropped a great jujitsu expert not a good jiu-jitsu expert a great one a great brazilian jiu-jitsu expert he dropped him and to finish him he had to go into his domain and dustin realized that there was danger in going in that domain and he couldn't go in there the way he normally would to finish the job because he understood that danger he understood that now if he had not dropped him most people say, oh, it would have been better if he dropped him. No, no, no. If he didn't drop him, if he only staggered him and Oliveira stayed on his feet, would have been better for Dustin because then he wouldn't have had to worry about that domain and he would have done what he's done so many times. He would have went after him. I'm not saying he would have finished him, but he would have had a better chance of finishing him if he had stayed staggered on his feet. He would have. So those are the things going on here. Those are the variables that, that most people don't see. That, that's going. And there's one other thing. I'm not giving any excuses to Dustin. He don't need me for that. He's a man. He's behaved like a man his whole freaking life. And he's, he should be as proud as anybody could ever be proud. And his kids should. Everyone should that knows him. You know why? He did it the hard way. He did it the right way. He did it. He earned it. Every inch of his career he freaking earned Every inch. He was not one of these guys that were handed anything on a silver platter. You know, he wasn't one of these guys that comes out of the Olympics. And, and they're great. Don't get me wrong. They're great. But they come out of the Olympics in my sport. And, you know, instead of making uh, 
$800 for their first pro fight. They're making uh, 80000 because they're Olympic medalists and they're with a promoter and, and they're given the benefit of everything. They're given all the easy fights, all the right fights, all the, all the way up until they get to the title. It's, everything is just set up for them. It's cleared for them. The road is paved for them. Yeah, and then give them credit. They do it. They have to do it at some point. But it's an easier road. It's an easier road. But not for Dustin. Not for Dustin. He had to do it the Marvin Hagler way. That's one of the reasons why I love Marvin Hagler. God bless him. You know, he had to do it the hard way. He had to do it. He had to fight everybody. Not for purses. Not for big purses. And he and then if he lost, he had to do it all over again. And he had to beat guys where he was the underdog, beat guys where he was coming off tough fights. Beat, he had to he had to do it. He had to do it the way, the old-fashioned way. And he did. And it's what formed him to be what he is. And that's why he'll come back, because of that. But this Oliveira, I'm giving him credit because he deserves it in this way. And I'm also talking, and again, I, said, I started this, this part where I said, I'm not making excuses for Dustin. He doesn't need that. But there was something a little off. And I'll tell you why. Because he even knew it. He would never say it. But there's a way of a fighter talking without verbalizing things. I always said it to the audience when I was calling the fights, at Friday Night Fights for ESPN and later on with PPC. I would always say it. He's saying something if you're understanding sign language. Boxing sign language. <laughs> He's saying something. But you have to understand that language. Dustin was switching from Southpaw to Orthodox. I hadn't seen him do it that much. And I watched it. I was saying, wait a minute. Why is he switching like this? You, you know, he's already heard him as a southpaw. Why is he switching? Uh, there's, there's something wrong. Uh, maybe that's too strong a word. But something that he, he himself has a little doubt about. Just, just a, something. Something. You're never going to know it, probably. But something. But he's an honest guy, so you never know. Talk, or there's no need to talk about it. But there's a need for me because this is what I'm supposed to do and see if I can help people understand something in this business, in my business, that makes these guys great, that changes the outcome of a fight. So sometimes things that are so slight, so subtle, so tiny that most people wouldn't even notice. There was something that gave him cause to think, to, to rethink himself, where he wouldn't rethink himself. Something that Oliveira did or made him feel. Something to make him switch back and forth a little bit more than I think he would or has or normally would. And so that was that was there. there was, that was there. But he gets through the round, as I said, and Oliveira does something that most people don't do with Dustin Poirier. He survives after being hurt, standing. And the geography, as I always talk about, was the geography that Dustin, that favored Dustin in his skill sets. Now the second round, like I said, the champion says, all right, now you're going to come into my geography, into my turf, okay, my turf. And we're going to do it on my turf and see how you like it. And he took him to the turf downstairs on a mat, jujitsu, everything that goes with it, ground and pound, everything. And he had his way. 
he had his way. He was, I mean, he was dominating in spots. And he had his way. Just like Dustin dominated in the spots in the first round. And he had his way. And the fight changed right there. I know it's five rounds, but right there was over. It was not over yet, but it changed dramatically. Because now it set the tone, mentally and physically and technically. It set the tone that I can take you to my place just like you took me to yours, but I I can survive yours. Can you survive mine? Yeah, And it, it just set a tone. It set a mental tone and a physical tone where he carried that tone into the third round before I think Dustin could react to it. I'm not saying he caught him by surprise, but a little bit. And this is what I mean. He, he took that momentum. He took that rhythm. He took that tone. He took that message from the second round as the champion and he said, now you're in my kingdom, my kingdom. And before he could even react, and the tone of confidence was there for Oliveira, not for Poirier. And the mental aspect is so important. And right there he had an advantage, a little advantage. And, but he struck while the iron was hot. He went, he being Oliveira, and he blitzed Dustin before he had a chance to even get ready to do the striking game. He wanted to do the striking game, obviously. But before he could even get his feet ready, before he could get his mind completely ready, completely, and I'm not making excuses at all, and Dustin would never allow it, but before he could, and, but that's to the brilliance and the credit of, of, of Oliveira, that he saw that. He, he rode that wave. He rode that rhythm. And he, that momentum. And he went out there in the third round, immediately and blitzkrieged them he blitzed them and he and he got in there right to where he wanted to be right to where he could get his hands on him right where he could grab him and right where he could take him to the to the mat and right where he could execute execute his strengths as a brilliant jiu-jitsu master and he did and it was over once he got that position once he got that he, he was, first of all, he was allowed to get in because, again, he blitzed him. He didn't give him a chance to, like, be ready to strike and keep it outside. He blitzed him. He caught him. I'm not saying by surprise, but he got there, okay? And then once he did and he got, mount, he got mounted, he was in that, it was over. The one only thing that I thought maybe at that dire situation could have saved Dustin with this jujitsu master, the one thing that maybe could have saved him was if he if he just went back if he just fell backwards onto Oliveira and and slammed Oliveira maybe to the mat and forced him to release that grip that was that was the only thing that came to my mind when I was watching it like you were like if he, if he could just flip backwards you know fall backwards and remove remove Oliveira from you know from that grip but other than that other than that, again, all credit to the champion for executing his plan, for doing, finding the geography to use his skills the best, surviving the other man's geography when he had to, and getting to fight his fight.
which is part of being a brilliant fighter. The fight that right. you want to fight. So credit to Dustin Poirier for everything he's done and will continue doing his career, starting with behaving like a good, decent man, like a champion, and continued great success for Oliveira, who who has been in this business like Dustin for a long time. He's fought everybody. He's felt the ups and downs. He's felt them all. He's he's witnessed them all. He's 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 you know he has uh, felt them all. He and and he's he found himself on top now. And when you get a guy like that who's been down and finds himself and gets himself and crawls up to the top and finally gets that magic, that ability, that thirty percent magic to know what it feels to behave like a champion. That's a guy that he can he can just continue to get better because he he always was good in other areas, but the mental area, the most important area in in my business, in this business, he he can continue to improve, continue to grow with. It's it's like Cus used to say to me. You know, Teddy, and I think this is kind of Oliveira. After you work so hard, you've toiled. Just like Dustin, you've toiled so long, so hard to get there. We used to say to the fighters, and Cus would always say, Teddy, it's hard to get there, but it's harder to keep it. And when you finally get there, which is never a guarantee, but after all that hard work, and after all the pains, the blood, the sweat, the tears, and there's plenty of all of that, the disappointments, the defeats. After all of that, when you finally get there, do everything in your freaking power to stay there. Yep. Nope, and that I was think clear. That, that, that was clear. Yeah. That will be Oliveira's attitude. But also, it will be Dustin Poirier's attitude to come back. And we obviously, we wish him the best of luck. Teddy, this was a long one. I think we're going to give Rob a panic attack as he's on his honeymoon. And we've got a, he's got a two hour and 30 minute Just episode a reminder to, to Rob. Listen, I always believe in life stories, life lessons. Right, Ken? Right? Mm -hmm. It's about life. It's about how you yep. behave as a man, how you live life. It's a journey yep. of life. This is a That's little, uh, a little sort of uh, reminder. Life's not always a honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> even when you're on one <laughs> even when you're on one <laughs> with that guys thanks for being with us we know this was a long one we hope you enjoyed all the in-depth coverage we loved being with you hope everyone's having an awesome holiday season we'll be back next week per usual have a good one guys thanks for being with us